Welcome to Launch Grow Harvest Podcast, Business Growth Coaching with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Hi, everybody. Connie Buna here. Roland Kim here. And this is the Launch Grow Harvest Podcast. We are always excited to bring you tips and tricks as it relates to business strategies and mindset. And so today I want to talk a little bit about a number of different things, but I want to start by talking about how do you win the market? And I think that this this relates, obviously my slant on this is within my capacity as a, as a realtor, but I think it's reflective of any business capacity, any sales environment, but how do you win in the environment that you're working in? Partner, talk to me a little bit about how over the years you've honed in on your instincts as it relates to market shifts and changes. Do you respond to the market shift or change or do you feel like you're in front of those changes? So in the real estate business, and I think one of the benefits of any business that you're in, if you're doing enough volume, enough transactions, whether it's making widgets or selling houses, you can sense and see how things are shifting and evolving. And so I think the biggest difference between us, if you look on a real estate business over the past 11 years, is we were definitely reactive early on. Yes. And now we are proactive and strategic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that even lends itself into you and I now every single week, no matter how busy we are, have at least a one hour check-in on a Thursday. Yes. And periodically throughout the year, we go away to a training event or we, you know, when that wasn't possible during the last year and a half, we, because we're in each other's bubble, we go away for half a day and do a planning session. Mm -hmm. And that didn't mean that we didn't have fires happening, you know, every minute of every day. But we had enough experience to know how to deal with them as we're processing the day, moving through a challenge so we can become a lot more planned mm -hmm. versus reactive. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a winning strategy on how you take market share. It's being ahead of the folks that are just reacting to the moment yes. and can't see beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. And the subtleties around those changes, you know, the market can shift in a weekend. Yes. There can be a difference in activity weekend over weekend, week over week. And one of the things that I am learning is that I actually have really good instincts as it relates to shifts and changes that are happening in the landscape. And there were long periods of time where I second-guessed myself because I didn't feel like I had enough experience and know-how, or that I felt like there, you know, there was the data wasn't supporting what I was feeling. But what I realized in reflection is sometimes, you know, data very by its very nature is often reflective. It's past tense. It's telling us what has occurred. And what we look at moving forward are, are projections or expectations. And so when you're living in that place, that in-between zone, that's where you're relying on, I believe that you're relying on your skills of analysis, your ability to truly survey the landscape, and also your due diligence as it relates to discovery. So for example, one of the things that we've experienced through very busy market cycles is the frustration in uh, multiple offer situations on where the market's going mm -hmm. and how crazy can it get? And, you know, a really strategic piece of advice that I learned from my coach, she said a few different things to me. Number one, she talked about the power of positive and collegial relationships with your counterparts in the business, such that you could 
reach out to realtors, you know, in advance of potentially when you're making offers on a property to see what happened with your listing. How did your listing unfold? Are they open and willing to share with you a little bit of their experience? Are you able to get in touch with any of the other agents that potentially wrote offers on that property to just kind of get a read? Obviously, they're not disclosing confidential information about their clients, but just more their impressions of what occurred and their opinions of where things are going next. So really analyzing those pending deals, those deals that are potentially not yet even reported as sold as an indicator of where market might be going. And then another really powerful sentiment that has has just struck me, and I can think about so many places and times in my career where it's cost me business, is the concept of removing judgment from your process. We can make judgments about the market, and the judgments about the market as it is climbing or falling, an example of which comes to mind is if, for example, we were listening to the projections you know, from the leader of the CMHC in May of 2020, <laughs> you might have dumped all your holdings. You might have sold your real estate or you might have held off on purchasing because there was a projection that the market was going to decline by 20%. And in actuality, the market increased by more than 20% right across Canada. I mean, I think that speaks to winning in any market. So right now we're talking about real estate, but you know, if you're in the restaurant business or whatever business, the the longer you're in the business, the more confidence you have. And if you're actively involved, there's lots of noise. There's lots of information. If information was value, like everyone would have value. Mm. Um, and so you get better at figuring out who are you going to listen to? Like in the case that you mentioned about speaking to peers in the business, you know which ones you're going to call over other ones because you can have powerful conversations with another leader that has not only just an opinion, but it's proven or it's information based on facts, based on yes. experience. And so that's really important where if you want to be a leader and you want to dominate your market in whatever business you're in, make sure that the information you're getting is from a reliable source. It's from someone you trust because an opinion is, everyone has an opinion, doesn't make it the right opinion. Absolutely. And it also doesn't mean that those people are succeeding yeah. based on those opinions. Oh, tell me about that. Social marketing makes everyone feel like they're succeeding. If you were only looking at social media, you'd think that every single person was living a, a, perfect a, an life. A plus perfect life. I want us to spend a little more time in our reflections in our career around the judgments of the market. So I know that for myself personally, there have been situations and climates in the market where I felt like it shouldn't sell there. That's unreasonable for it to sell there. Or we shouldn't list at this price. It's unreasonable for us to list at this price. Or I don't, you know, it's a concern or a caution. And I think that those areas of judgment I know for myself personally have cost me. They've cost me opportunities. They've cost me business. They've cost clients opportunities in business. And I, I, I'd like to hear from you a little bit because I think you've done quite a bit of growth on this piece. So my question is, I recall earlier days, okay. uh, Roland, in his business capacity, was always trying to protect his clients. And okay. let's put a huge star around that to understand that, yes, our absolute job is to protect our best interests of our clients, but we don't make decisions for our clients. We inform our clients of the scenarios, of the options available to them. And then ultimately they're the decision makers. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting talking about this. We always, like you said, want to protect and continue to want to protect. But one of my biggest mistakes was I wanted to solve their problems but I was solving it with limited information and with not all the right information, right? Yeah. And so there's a plethora of experiences and it ranges from 
you know, if I was working with a seller and the seller telling me this is the price they need to get, they won't go below this price. And if I don't get this price, I'm going to hold on to it and I'm going to rent it. I didn't investigate the conversation and, and deep enough and have powerful enough experience and trust with the client that they were able, able to disclose to me that they needed to sell it. So what they told me previously wasn't the truth mm -hmm. and they need to sell. And obviously we want to maximize the value in the property. Mm -hmm. What they told me was I won't sell below this price. I'm just going to rent it. Mm -hmm. And if you tell that to me, then I'm going to do my best to get you a million dollars, even though I only felt your home was worth 920. Mm -hmm. And yet I thought I was doing you a great service because I, I have done deals like that where we get an, an amazing outcome that shouldn't have happened yes. and it does happen, but it's not the average. It's not the typical, it's not the recipe that we can replicate again and again. And so I was fighting for, in that case, an outcome that was, had a low odds of success. And I thought I had done a good job. I thought I did my best and protected the client and looked out for their best interest based on what they told me. Yes. Only later to see them list when it was rented and it didn't sell and they listed, you know, five weeks later at 848. Yes. And it sold for 890. Yes. And I know I could have sold it for 920 if I had had it, the right information. Yes. And so in that case, I actually cost the client $30,000 in this scenario by not having a difficult conversation. Yes. And by not really drilling down, like, do you actually want to own this? Because a property, when you're selling a property, if we're talking about selling properties, you're, as the seller, either going to become the buyer and end up buying the property or someone else is going to buy it. There's always someone buying it. And if, you know, and- a, a, And pause a minute there. Yeah. If you're the seller and you buy your own property, like what does that mean? That means you've priced your property. You give more value to your property than the market does. Perfect. Overpriced. Overpriced. So it, it, instincts tell us a lot now. Like we can go into a conversation and the nice part about the degree of success we have is we don't spend as much time talking or proving ourselves and trying to get our client to trust us. I think we now come with a pedigree of success and a track record of success and we deliver great value mm -hmm. that our appointments when we were initially meeting with clients and from actively working on it have migrated into needs analysis, yes. discovery conversations. Yes. And that's where the magic is. That is mastery. Are you ready to build your real estate portfolio? We, we can, can help. help. We have the experience and lender connections for you to build what you may not have thought was possible. And we offer unbiased advice because we're not a bank that's offering you one mortgage product. We are here for the long run. Exactly. We look at all the options and mix those with your dreams and goals to build a perfect mortgage strategy for your next step. It's easy with our secure technology and also means faster approvals for you. But we're also real people and we're happy to talk and answer questions anytime. With the Home Happy Team, you get the strength of having a team and not just at completion. We are with you to help manage your mortgage from now on. Let us start to build your financing plan so your future can start now. And, you know, there's something that we learn in Bold, which is an incredible training course uh, offered by Keller Williams that that is available to any business person. But there's a statement in Bold that says your cells are eavesdropping on your internal mental dialogue. And you touched on something there that I think is really powerful, that, that can't be understated, which is that idea that 
when you come into a scenario around giving advice, if you are confident that you are giving the best advice available and you know that you've done the research, you've participated in the market, you've analyzed the market, and you're coming forward with the absolute best advice possible, there is a degree of or an air of confidence around that that allows you to position yourself as an expert. You know, it's one thing to, you know, fly out of your licensing course and head into the marketplace with excitement. And then there's a whole other sort of component around actually having the track record that allows you to sort of rest comfortably in that place of confidence. And so if you don't have the track record, who are you engaging in your world that helps you feel empowered that the advice that you're giving and the strategy that you're sharing with your client can lead to success. Yeah. And even before we touch on that, I mean, so if you're a new agent jumping into a real estate market and you feel like there's, you know, these really well-established folks that you're competing against, everyone has got an opportunity. Everyone has an angle. I'd say one of the biggest challenges for, you know, well-established companies or people is they assume that the future is the same as the past. And the best example of that is RIM. I mean, at one time it dominated the landscape of the mm -hmm. cell phone company. And, you know, that organization never thought like, why would anyone want to have a cell phone without a keypad? Mm -hmm. And yet in a short period of time, they went from being the dominant player to completely losing the marketplace mm -hmm. of cell phone. And so I guess the point I'm making is definitely pedigree and history means so much. Yes. At the same time, if you're not constantly reevaluating the results and open to change and taking in new information and seeing should, has anything changed in my expectations and my analysis of what should happen and you're not pivoting and, and changing, giants can fall so quickly because we're in an age of information technology. Mm -hmm. You know, what used to take 10 years to change can change in two years. Yeah. And who knows what it looks like down the road. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit, for example, about engagement with colleagues mm. and other folks that are, you know, for all intents and purposes, competitors in our marketplace. But we maintain collegial relationships because you get more bees with honey and transactions are nice and smooth when we're in good rapport with our colleagues. And so in your opinion, what does it look like to balance being in good rapport with your colleagues and always remembering to keep front of mind your fiduciary duty to your client to protect their confidentiality, protect their best interests? You start from making sure you're protecting your client's best interests and holding your fiduciary duty. And then as you do more business, and again, it comes down to time in the field and time on task. And mm -hmm. you know, once you've done 10,000 hours of something, you're moving into the area of mastery. Mm -hmm. You're able to see that everyone runs a business differently. So the simple steps that a colleague that you know who is completely disorganized, doesn't have admin, doesn't have systems, and seems like, you know, they're running by just frantically, mm -hmm. that person could perhaps compromise a deal because they didn't organize their client properly mm -hmm. versus another colleague that you are in awe of, you're inspired by how they have everything under control. You know that they communicate with their client at different steps. They provide feedback to the client and, mm -hmm. and stages. Mm -hmm. You are looking out for your client's mm -hmm. best interest mm -hmm. to work with a realtor, if you can, that is doing the best that they can on their side. So we have the common goal in mind and that we all reach it. Versus, you know, an opportunity or a transaction falling apart that didn't have to fall apart. Yes. So to me, collegial connectivity looks like um, in many ways, it's almost, you know, it's family in a way. Like I'm going to be around my producing colleagues longer than any of my clients. Yes, certainly. And so are. I certainly would never do anything to compromise my client's best interest. 
and you never have to. It's it's a professional, you know, connection that you have with your colleagues where you can share information that's really known information and it helps both of you and you can move forward on on your common goal Mm -hmm. while keeping your client's best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you? Well, I think about, for example, like I just, I'm someone that really believes in the fundamental principles of sort of win-win negotiations and kindness and leading with kindness and generosity. And so I think about, for example, situations where I've had colleagues ask me for strata documents. Mm. You know, it's such a simple gesture. I've already paid for those documents. I would be happy to share those documents with any active realtor that's interested in purchasing in the property. And so if I have an agent reach out to me for strata documents in a listing that I've already sold and I have the archive, how simple is it to me to share the link? And give them a head start on, you know, their diligence on doing review and discovery of the property. And it's so funny to me. It's so natural to me to say yes to that. And I've had the experience in my career of agents saying, like flatly saying, no, no, I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not comfortable doing that. I'll sell them to you. I'll sell them to (laughs) you or no, it's not my practice to do that. Go get them on your own or whatever. And I always just find that to be so interesting And like most of us, you know, there's a human part of me that is like, hmm, interesting. I'm going to remember that. Like, that's something that unfortunately I'll never forget about those particular individuals that just like, because that for me is a little sneak peek into who you are at your core. How they operate. How you operate. And that's, that's interesting. And so I always think about it from the flip side. How are my interactions with my colleagues painting a picture of who I am? I mean, the extreme case of that for me would be, you know, where I've uh, lost rapport with a seller and they've chosen to go in a different direction with Mm -hmm. another realtor and that realtor I have good rapport with and they have the comfort of contacting me and being like, can I use your floor plan and pictures because we want to get it up faster than I can get it done. Yes. You know, there's, like you said, there's always a human reaction inside you that like you feel a little bit of a pity party for yourself that you lost the opportunity, but I have no problem letting that realtor you know, use that information because it's already an embedded cost, whether I made the mistake or the client is, in my opinion, incorrect in not having worked with me, that's not relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I can choose to help my colleague move forward, help indirectly his client or her client move forward. Mm -hmm. Or I can say no, feel a moment of satisfaction of like, haha, I didn't share something. Mm-hmm. And they'll still move forward. Yes. And now I've lost an opportunity to provide an olive branch to a colleague and build a rapport. Mm-hmm. Can you think about an instance where we might be in a situation where we're being friendly, but we share too much? Has that like, perhaps not, not an action you've taken, but something you've experienced? Yeah. So, I mean, as most great listing agents, what we do is, um, you know, if we have a similar property that's hitting the market and there's something that, you know, is, it might be like a Friday and, and, you know, they looked at offers yesterday and we're going to list on Monday, you know, you might call and try and get a sense of what their activity level is. Mm -hmm. And in order to figure out, you know, is your pricing and your strategy still relevant based on market conditions. Mm-hmm. Although the information helps me, if that agent you know, makes a mistake, they can give too much information. For example, that agent might only have an accepted offer with subject removal on Wednesday and they tell me what their accepted price is, which mm. is a no-no. Now I know that, right? And so it allows me to essentially, I have to provide that to my client. And so 
sharing too much information definitely can happen. Often, it's just a mistake that a, a, an inexperienced person makes. And in, in my past experience, I see it happening when someone doesn't know what they're doing, mm -hmm. or when someone wants to be overly courteous and helpful. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to you know, what's the saying? Like a good deed never goes punished. Mm -hmm. um, just be cognizant of who your responsibility is, who you're serving, mm -hmm. and who your fiduciary duty is, and make mm -hmm. sure you're always protecting them mm -hmm. while being collegial and supportive to your fellow fellow mm -hmm. realtors. Mm -hmm. What about you? Where do you see too much information being shared? Well, I think, you know, thinking about certainly heightened market climates and ways in which we're navigating through periods of time where there's lots of stress, thinking about, you know, the disclosure of how many other offers were received and whether or not that's in fact compromising the confidentiality of your seller of, you know, that question, uh, you'd think your seller would take a little bit less yeah, like maybe, yeah, yeah, I think so. Like you just, is so many ways that you can say something or yeah, I'm sure they'll have no problem with that. I'm sure they'll have no problem agreeing to that and the like, and sharing that information without really grasping the impact and the risk, you know, for example, is it your obligation to share that there are four offers or is it your obligation to share that it's just simply multiple offers? Is there a benefit to the seller for you to share that number? Does that does that make a difference? And if you can see a strategic benefit, then possibly it's important to do so. And if you don't see a strategic benefit and you need to be thinking about it from the perspective of your client, whether or not it benefits them, you know, why are you sharing it? Are you sharing it just to be friendly? Are you sharing it because you are a chatter and you <laughs> tend to just maybe talk a little bit too much? It's a really, really Im important thing to actually think about and reflect on in terms of cooperation, because also, you know, for most of us in business, uh, client facing business people, we are typically, there's a degree to which we actually like people. That's why we choose the work that we choose. And that friendliness can sometimes get carried away. Yeah. And I mean, it's ironic that it's all a matter of having conversations with your clients and the same action that you could take could get you in trouble or could become um, leverage. Mm -hmm. And so that goes back to based on your instincts, based on your experience. So what I'm referring to is the classic question that folks, buyers have, uh, why are the sellers selling? Yep. You know, And a lot of times I find that the listing agents are throwing out information that they never discuss with the seller. Mm -hmm. And your answer could be, you know what, they're just selling. You know, like you don't have anything to offer to it, or you could offer way too much information. Yeah. And the buyer might think that they're getting a strategy, that yes. they're getting inside information, and you could compromise your relationship with your seller. Equally, if you are proactive on that and you speak with your sellers about, you know, this might be a question that's going to come up. How would you like me to respond? Perfect. Yes. And I hear how you'd like me to respond, and I can definitely do that. Based on my experience of being involved in over a thousand transactions, I have an idea about mm -hmm. a strategy. So one clear example that I can think of is, you know, many times we're in a neutral market where, you know, there's a balanced number of buyers, a balanced number of sellers, and you're a property for sale and there's a half dozen similar comparables to you. Yep. And as silly as it sounds, as soon as a buyer puts pen to paper, even if they think they're going to get it for a far better deal than they do, often they end up coming to a price that the seller and them can accept. Yes. And so often it's just a matter of getting attention and making the buyer write on a listing 
in a neutral market mm-hmm. is what sells the property. Mm-hmm. So many times when I have worked for clients that are divorcing and we cover this question in advance, and if they're comfortable after I've explained to them the strategy of saying, you know what, the sellers are parting ways and getting divorced, if they're comfortable with me relaying that information, it's a strategy. And yes. the strategy is because often buyers instantly go to, oh, they must be desperate. So let's write an offer. Yep. They want to sell. Yeah. And what we often discover being the seller in that situation is that the buyer is pivoting off what they believe the parameters of, of the sale price will be. Mm-hmm. And we get a deal done at a number that the seller was so happy for. Yes. And so I disclosed personal information with approval and authority mm-hmm. based on a strategy we applied. Yes. And in that case, it was totally okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing piece. And one of the things I want to isolate about that example is the concept of instructions, receiving yes. instruction from your client to proceed. It's obvious that there are various nuances and subtleties in our dialogues on both the buying and selling side where we are using our professional judgment to engage in conversation. We're not asking our client to help us with every single script of every conversation, but we're covering with the client the high level of if we wanted to disclose information that was personal in nature, Mm -hmm. why we would do that. And, you know, another piece to that that is relevant and similar is, for example, the idea that you're in the midst of a transaction and there are some deficiencies or repairs that might be actually a sticking point. And as professionals, we are often put in situations where we need to make a call on whether or not we're going to be prepared to, number one, present that deficiency list to our sellers, and number two, how we're going to deal with the repair thereafter. Deficiencies and repairs that might actually compromise the transaction that become a sticking point for the buyer client. How do you address that, right? So that that comes up all the time in our business. And one of the things that I've learned through experience is, and we touch on it all the time, is how can I help solve this problem? You know, we've talked about having great allied resources in your sphere, having really strong rapport with your clients. I relish opportunities to solve problems for my clients. And so when I come into an interaction or a transaction where that becomes a sticking point, first of all, it's not my job to make the decision for the seller that we're going to solve this problem. And that's a key thing we need to go back to. Keep going. And and so, well, let's expand on that. I'm happy to. So for example, sometimes agents will solve a problem, then they think they're helping by putting money to the problem, but they don't have the approval of the client. And so you could actually have the client later be angry at you being like, I didn't approve you to buy a new dishwasher and dryer. Yeah. And you might've spent a thousand dollars thinking you're helping your client and they may have had like a different opinion on it. Yeah. And, or you've perhaps lost the opportunity to have that spend, have a nice impact. And so, you know, again, seeking instructions, Roland, you're my client, Roland, here's the situation. We've identified a number of deficiencies. It might feel frustrating to you because I know you believe your house is perfect and your house is so awesome. And we want to make sure that this client is as equally excited about living in your home as you are. And so they've identified a few items. I have amazing handy people that are in as part of my team. I'd love to offer that to you, that just part of my portfolio of service to you to ensure a successful delivery of this property will be to just remedy these relatively minor repairs and move forward together. Are you in agreement with that strategy? 
And Amazing. that, right, that's the sort of buy-in that I think we need to seek from our clients. Similarly, when you're on the buying side of that transaction to say to a prospective buyer, would it satisfy you if we had these resolved? If we could say these are no longer problems, they'll be addressed. Are you wanting to move forward? And I think the delicate balance that I think about there is you don't want to be perceived as forcing a transaction or pushing something together. If somebody, for example, didn't want to pursue, they're focusing in on the deficiencies because actually they actually don't want to pursue the transaction. So just being very, very aware, I think, of that dynamic is so important in our trade. And I think it just comes from having the right intentions and experience. So same thing as um, we have an amazing admin team. So when we say we don't count the commission, we literally do not run the commission numbers until later. But obviously the paperwork gets done behind Mm -hmm. the scene. And that same philosophy passes on to this scenario where we're offering solutions not to complete the transaction because we need, we want this to close. It's more, we don't want you to walk away from an opportunity that's the right opportunity for $500 when we know how to fix it for $300 and we'll pay for it. Yes. Because I can only speak for myself, but you know, the majority of the time my clients purchase a property that I would not have purchased for them Mm -hmm. if they hired me based on the criteria they gave me. Mm -hmm. And so it's a continuous reevaluation and problem solving as we migrate through the process of selling a property or buying a property. Yes. And so when we come up with solutions, we're not trying to close the transaction and move on for the sake of moving on. We're just trying to prevent the client from what we call a sacrificial lamb. Mm -hmm. We see it all the time, especially with first-time buyers, where something comes up and they get scared. Yes. And small things that shouldn't be the focus of the transaction becomes the the focus. Yeah. And what if that no longer was in focus and you could focus on the other things that were important to you? Would your decision be different? Yes. And so we always like when we onboard a client and speak with them, we make it very clear to them that like we are indifferent on which property you buy and what it pays, Mm -hmm. but we really want to make sure it's the right property at the right time at the right price for you. Yes, absolutely. And that leads me to thinking about, you know, something that we often will be debriefing on and something that is a a regular topic of conversation in my coaching calls, the concept of being reactive versus proactive, you know, just in that kind of putting out fires place versus bird's eye view, assessing the scenarios in your experience, in your, in your business, what sorts of analyses are you doing for any given transaction so that you can minimize the amount of reactivity and get in front of, or get proactive with the support? Yeah. I mean, I think I do a really good job of framing with clients what they should expect Mm -hmm. and what is average based on what the criteria, the budget and their needs are. And so like whether a client buys a property in three days and that happens more than you think, three weeks, three months, three years has happened once or twice, Mm -hmm. but I really don't care. Like I live in a world of plenty. I do a lot of business. I really enjoy my clients and I enjoy what I do. So whether you find your home quickly or it takes you a long time, I'm there for the process. Same. And so it's a matter of really figuring out and educating them on all the steps going ahead. So the most crucial point of being reactive or proactive is early on explaining to them what we're going to go through Mm -hmm. and also being very honest with them. You know, early on, especially if a a client moves from Windsor, Ontario to Vancouver, 
their $500,000 looks entirely different than what the reality is in the marketplace. So it's a delicate balance of not, you know, popping their balloon and making them feel disheartened that you're not going to get what they expected Mm -hmm. and equally not making them feel like it's futile and there's nothing available Mm -hmm. because renting for the next 20 years isn't the answer either. Yes. So it's a, it's a balance of hearing them out learning what they want and really honing in on what are the key things that are most important to them. What are the, like they have two dogs. So obviously pets are important. We're not going to look at a building without pets. You know, if they want high ceilings, well, we'll figure that out as we go. Mm -hmm. And so early on we give guidance and we are really honest. So if a client talks about something that is not going to happen in their marketplace, we explain to them, you know, the odds of that happening are very unlikely. And then the most important process, in my opinion, is from the point that you get an offer accepted to removing subjects. So in our business, Connie and I call that stage two of the buying process. Yeah. And it typically, you know, is five business days to maybe seven business days. And during that time, some realtors feel like the job is done. They sit back, yep. both listing agent and buyer's agent, and they're waiting for subject removal date. And they're hoping that at four o'clock, they get an email <laughs> that shows them subjects have been removed. Here's the bank draft that's in trust. And yeah. Yippee, I sold a property. What we do is um, we look through the minutes. You know, we highlight challenges that we see. We reconfirm what we expect. You know, we don't convince a client that there's going to be no challenges in a 40-year-old wood frame building. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we make sure that we're getting them good value and that the work that we expect it to be done has been done. And so what we're doing is we're being an advocate along the process. And at the same time, we're making sure that they aren't becoming their their own worst enemy by creating a criteria that's unrealistic. You, you've touched on something so powerful that it, as it relates to that fiduciary responsibility to give good guidance and advice, right? When we're looking at, for example, an inspection report or strata documents or something of the like, it's our job to teach our clients what we're looking for. When you look through strata documents, you're actually looking for problems. That's the point of strata documents. It's the intention of the strata documents is to communicate the issues that are going on in the building to the general ownership. Yeah. And so if we haven't done the work in advance of that process to contextualize and set the expectation with the client that that's in fact what we're looking for, we've missed a critical opportunity to not only add value, but also control the narrative and assist our clients in making sure that they are appropriately screening out a property and or making a decision to move forward on an opportunity. And that really does speak to that reactive versus proactive approach. You know, are we communicating in advance? And there's some, there's a component of instinct there. It's always interesting to me when I have been thinking about a client, how frequently if I didn't follow through with my instinct, how frequently they touch base with me. It's weird, actually. I just had this experience this morning where I did successful completion for a detached home and clients were moving over to the island. Amazing opportunity. I was so happy to be facilitating the closure of their Vancouver journey and and helping them move over to Vancouver Island, where we have amazing partner agents supporting them on that side of the transaction. And they were just the kinds of people that went the extra mile as it related to details and support. You know, they left the letter Mm. for the new owners and they were just, every piece of their interaction was done with such care and concern. And I 
I thought about sending them a message to let them know that possession was successful, that I had brought cleaners through and the home was perfect and that the new owners were so excited to take over ownership. And I, I second-guessed myself on sending that touch point because I thought, oh, they're in transit and they're they're moving. And in fact, she texted me this morning to say, hey, I just wanted to check in. How did delivery of the of the home go? And then again, another powerful reminder to me of, you know, obviously I'm in good rapport with these people, but I could have proactively sent that note. It would have taken me one moment. You got to trust your instincts yeah. and you're a problem solver, right? Mm-hmm. And so these are really well-intentioned people that were thinking about possession. Yes. And equally, you're a well-intentioned person thinking about, yeah. I don't want to bombard you with things that aren't relevant. Yes, exactly. I solved the problem. Yeah. Communication's the key. Communication is the key. And I think that's a really powerful takeaway. Anything else we want to touch on in this segment? I want to talk a little bit just for a, a few moments for the folks that are still listening about our mid-year Yes. Business plan. Mid-year business planning. So, you know, one part of our practice and the evolution of our trajectory in business is the idea and the real and genuine belief that business planning does not happen only once. Business planning is not one single event that takes place in maybe November and December of the prior to the year being launched, but in fact, something that is reflected on and reviewed every quarter. And so we are going to be hosting an event in July that is a a bit of a relaunch. It's an opportunity to reflect on the year to date and an opportunity to go a little deeper. So this is going to be outside of the norm of a business planning clinic. Obviously, numbers are relevant. We're going to speak to numbers, but we're going to speak a little bit more to the behaviors and the psychology of success. And so I really look forward to that event and to hosting that event and to opportunities when we can be face-to-face again. I feel like that's just the sweetest time when we're able to feel that synergy and connection together. So stay tuned. I will be launching that event in July of 2021, and uh, we're looking forward to connecting with all of you soon. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.